Scripture. And again, certainly is an honor to be here tonight on Halloween night. Halloween night. Huh? Cannot believe that you are missing trick-or-treat to be in church. Of course, Christians don't do trick-or-treat. It's trunk-or-treat. That's, that's Christian Halloween. It's like down where, down where we live, we don't go to the beach. We go to the coast. Go to the coast. We sanitize. We Christianize things. Kind of like... Christian beer, Christian rock and roll, huh? But anyway, it's good to have you in church tonight. Thank you for the singing. Touch my heart. There's people that can sing, and then there's people that can sing with a touch. There's a little touch. You can't teach the touch. Huh? You, you, you don't get that in a music class. That just touch just comes from God. And I appreciate that. And again, preachers, thank you so much for the honor of being here and and it is my honor, and you've been so kind and so gracious. In 30 years of preaching, only twice, only twice have I had somebody in meeting take me out and buy me a suit in 30 years. And yesterday was the third time, and uh, somebody bought me a suit. I don't know if the church did that or you did that, uh, but what a blessing, what a blessing. Thank you so much for that, and all of your kindness. And to be praying for the rest of the meeting, being praying, praying for Brother Stacy as well. Trust the Lord to touch his body. I want you to find Exodus chapter 21 with me. The book of Exodus in the 21st chapter. When you come to a new church, you don't know the people, you don't know the needs. And so you're really relying on the Holy Spirit to place on your heart the message that we need for this hour. And I feel like that this is the text that the Lord has impressed upon my heart for tonight. And I hope that it will be a help to somebody. A couple of years ago, I taught a class in our Bible Institute on Old Testament Judaism, understanding Old Testament Judaism. Our Bible is a Jewish book. It's written mostly by Jewish authors to a Jewish audience about a Jew. So much of our Christianity finds its roots in Judaism. And, and the law, the law and the Pentateuch, that's the foundation of Judaism. Now, without understanding that law, you really don't understand Judaism. And I realized that there was so much of that law that I, I read through and I didn't really understand the reason for it. I don't think God just gives arbitrary laws. There's a mind, there's a heart behind it. And so a couple of years ago, I took three weeks off. I took a working sabbatical from our church. I'd never done that before. And I, I went away with just a couple of Bibles and some legal pads. And I went through the law, and I wanted to catalog those laws. And I know ceremonial, civil, moral. But I wanted a better catalog, a better list. And when I came away from those three weeks of studying just, just those laws, and I came away with, I don't know, 10 or 11 lists. There's property laws, there's, there's, there's dietary restrictions, there's laws about going to war. And, 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 and so I came away with, and, and then I, I took two semesters and I taught our young men that are training for the ministry, Old Testament Judaism. And what we wanted to get to is not just the legal code, but the why, the mind of God. What, why, why that Law. We understand that we're not bound to the law as a civil code. And, and we don't keep the law as far as a law is concerned. But there are principles behind that. And I, 
After those three weeks, I, I came away with a greater appreciation for the heart of God in the law. It was one of the richest studies that I had ever personally done. And tonight, I want to just give you one of those laws. One of those laws. And it's found in Exodus 21 and verse 28. The Bible says, if an ox gore a man or woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, and he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to the judgment, shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. I want to preach tonight for just a little bit on the dangerous ox must die. The dangerous ox must die. The text sits in the middle of a section of Exodus that is called the Book of the Covenant. You find that in chapter 24 and verse 7. After God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, I recorded in chapter 20, God then gave Moses a series of case laws that applies the Ten Commandments to everyday life. Those case laws are found in chapter 21, 22, and 23. And those chapters really are an application of the Ten Commandments. They are written in different legal language than the Decalogue. And the Ten Commandments are really general or broad principles, but now we have an application. Case laws are more specific. They speak of the thousand and one different scenarios that can happen in everyday life. They're not meant to be a comprehensive legal code that covers every possible situation, but they are descriptive, they are representative, and they follow an if-then formula. If this happens, then this is the remedy or the punishment or the reward. If-then, if-then. For example, Exodus 20 and verse 15 says, Thou shalt not steal. That's a broad, universal law. But you come to chapter 22 and verse 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. That is an expansion on the commandment to not steal and it prescribes a penalty for whether it is an ox or a sheep and the penalty is different depending on the animal that you steal. So the Ten Commandments give us the fundamentals, the base, and the Book of Covenant applies those laws to all kinds of scenarios. Now in our particular law, I don't know if there's anybody in here that owns an ox. So if you don't, this specific law would not mean anything to you. But the principle behind it is what you and I are ought to be concerned with. There are some who call themselves Christian reconstructionists or theonomists who believe that we should enforce these laws and these penalties on our modern justice system. 
If you believe that, then you would be okay with a church state system like the reformers had in the Reformation. But these laws are not meant for us to set up as specific laws. It was never intended for the United States or any other nation to make these the laws of our land. There are principles behind the Ten Commandments that you and I are concerned with. Now when you back up and you take a 40,000 foot view of the law as a whole, there are several broad applications that we can make. The first application is that God is concerned about the public behavior of his people. What the law shows is that God is concerned with how his people live in society. He does not want us to live in private piety, but yet not public morality. He wants what we claim to believe to be lived out in the public arena. And the laws of God are not just to be kept in our heart, they are to be lived out in our life every day. God's concerned about that. I think another broad principle of the law as a whole is that God is concerned with equal justice for everyone. The, the, the slave is treated with the same justice as the free man. The poor, given the same equality as the rich man, the woman has as much rights as the man. Equal justice under the law is a theme that prevails to all throughout, and I agree with that. I'm not going to go through these, but, but if you want to just write down so you can go back and read, I'll give you a brief breakdown. In chapter 21 through verse 1 through 11, here are laws regarding slavery. Well, the Bible doesn't support slavery, but it does allow for it. It does make concessions for it. What may surprise you on the laws of slavery is that every law is intended to protect the servant. God is concerned with the rights and the well-beings of even the least of his, of his citizens. In verse 12 through verse 17, there are laws regarding capital punishment. There are some who say that capital punishment is barbaric, that it promotes a culture of death. And there have been a lot of arguments made against it, but God established it all the way back in Genesis chapter number 9. What the death penalty does is it does not teach a death culture. It teaches that life is precious. When you take someone else's life, you are taking the life of someone that is created in the image of God. So capital punishment is prescribed for several crimes in those verses. In verse 18 to verse 32, there are laws regarding personal injury. Sometimes through negligence, um, an action that you take injures somebody, but it is less than death. It does not warrant capital punishment, but it does require some kind of restitution. So these laws talk about when two men get in a heated argument and one hits the other, or when a man injures another man's servant, or when a man injures a pregnant lady and she miscarries. So there has to be something, and the overriding principle behind it is personal responsibility. We are responsible for our actions. And again, it's not an all-inclusive list. It is representative. There is a thousand and one different scenarios that can be played out. And then in chapter 21, verse 33, down to chapter 22 and verse 15, here are laws regarding property rights. It's all an expansion of the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. So if you dig a pit and another man's 
animal falls into the pit and is injured, or if your beast gores another man's beast, or if you set a fire in your field and it leaps over the fence and it burns down the crop of another man's field, there has to be restitution. And again, there's all kinds of situations, but these are the broad guidelines for Israel in judging each other. The case that I'm interested in tonight is the case of the dangerous ox, and it's fascinating to me. It falls under what we would call animal control laws. We, we, we have such ordinances. You, you might live in a neighborhood where there is a leash law. You can't just let your dog run loose and be a nuisance. Or if your dog bites somebody, you're going to be responsible for that. And, and this is what this law is about. Look at it with me quickly. Verse number 28. If an ox gore a man or woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. This is an agrarian culture, and so oxen are used to plow the fields and other farm-related work, and if an ox got loose and attacked somebody so that that person died, then that ox has to be put to death. The owner is not charged with murder, but he is responsible because it is his ox. It would be severe for the owner to be put to death for something he did not intend to happen, but something that happened by accident. But it still is a cost because the ox would be useful to him in his farming. It's going to cost him something, but it's not going to cost him his life. Now, now why does the ox have to be killed? The reason why is because it's contrary to nature for an animal to attack a human. Because in Genesis 1, God gave man dominion over the beasts of the field. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, it is a rebellion against creation. It is a direct result of the curse. And God is teaching to honor human life to the extent that even if an animal takes a human life, that it must pay with its own life. Verse 28 specifies that it is to be stoned. Well, why would you have to stone the ox? Well, the text tells us. Because in stoning an animal, there is no bloodletting. And if there is no bloodletting, the Jew who is not, not able to eat blood, that then becomes unclean to him, and he's not able to eat that ox. He's not going to be able to benefit at all from this crime. It's interesting to me that an ox is actually a clean animal. But in this regard, it becomes an unclean animal. As if its nature has changed, there has been a transformation take place, and it is now unclean because of the offense. Now look at verse number 29. The circumstance changes. If the ox will want to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he has not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Different situation. Now we have an oxen that is dangerous, cantankerous, and the neighbors have warned the owner that this ox is going to be dangerous. You need to do something about it. He has been warned that it's a dangerous ox, but he keeps it around anyway. And now when that ox gets loose and kills another person, now the oxen and the owner are put to death. The principle is that you are responsible for the injuries that you directly cause and the ones that you didn't cause, but you could have prevented. 
So when you have a deadly animal and you are negligent to keep it contained, then in the eyes of the law, you are a deadly duel. We have a golden doodle dog at our house. A mini golden doodle. I don't know if you know what a golden doodle is. A go mini golden doodle is a very expensive mutt. That's what it is. You can't register a golden doodle. You can't have papers on a golden doodle. A golden doodle is a useless dog. And we have a golden doodle, and it is a sissy dog. Sissy dog. My dog wouldn't bite a flea. He wouldn't know how to be dangerous. If somebody came into our house to rob us at night, he would wag his tail and be glad to see them. He would welcome them in and be glad for the company. If you were to come to my house and my dog bit you, it would be so out of character. It would be so unexpected. But it's my dog. So I would have to pay the medical bill. I, I would be responsible in some way because of that. Now if I had a pit bull that I kept on a logging chain and, and constantly agging him on and, 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 and for years and I've kept this dog on this chain and, and, and this dog is always growling and he's always snarling and he's always lunging and trying to get out if that dog gets loose and bites somebody I'm going to say the law is going to come down harder on me we're probably going to have to put that dog to sleep I can even face criminal neglect charges probably a civil lawsuit that's the situation in verse 29. Or verse 30. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he should give for the ransom of his life whatever is laid upon him. Because the death is unintentional and not premeditated, God allows a substitute payment for the owner. If the surviving family members allow, they could set a price for restitution and the owner could pay the ransom instead of paying for his life. The sin is covered by his ransom payment or his death. And the price is not open to negotiation. The offending party sets the price of restitution. Now there's gospel all around right there, but I've got to keep moving so I can't preach that verse. But there's a lot of gospel right there in verse number 30. Verse 31. If go to son or go to daughter, according to the judgment, it should be done unto him. There's no amount of money that can replace a lost son or a daughter. But again, the family can decide a civil penalty or death. Verse 32, if the auction puts a manservant or a maidservant, he should give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. If the person the ox kills is a servant, if it is a slave, then the civil penalty is set at 30 shekels of silver, which is the price of a slave. Now, now some people read that and think, well, well, the slave is being devalued. He's only worth 30 shekels of silver. I think the exact opposite. 
I think the nature of man is to say that it's just a servant, not worth as much money, and we try to downplay that. And so I don't think that the price is to say that his life is worth no more than 30 shekels of silver. It is to say that you cannot pay any less than 30 shekels of silver. So, 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 so we have a law. And in this law, there are several meanings and applications. There's the value of human life, even when it is taken by beasts. There's the responsibility for negligent, irresponsible behavior. There's the value of a servant. It cannot be valued less than 30 shekels of silver. There is the law of substitution, restitution, with your life or with a ransom payment. But I think the payment that lessens goes even deeper than that. Because I don't have an ox. So if I don't have an ox, how does this scenario play out in my life? What am I supposed to take from the law? What does this mean to me? I believe there are three principles that I can draw from this text. I want us to take away from three observations. The first observation is that which cannot be kept must be killed. A man owns an ox, and that's not a bad thing. In an agricultural world, an ox would be a useful thing to own. There's nothing inherently evil with owning an ox. You can plow with an ox. You can pull a cart with an ox. There's a lot of things that you can do with an ox. But in this case, the man's ox has a rebellious streak. He has gotten out of the pen on occasion. Not all oxen are dangerous animals, but it becomes apparent that this ox is dangerous and he's going to cause more trouble than he's worth. The key phrase is found in verse number 30, or verse number 29. If his ox were wont to push with the torn in time past, it has been testified to his owner, watch this, and he hath not kept him in. As long as he contains the ox, there is no problem. But if he failed to keep the ox contained, then he fails to control the ox. Here's the principle. If you have an ox that you know is dangerous and you cannot contain, you cannot control that ox, then you better kill the ox before it kills somebody else. You may have a dangerous dog that is a guard dog, but if that dog ever gets loose, it's going to hurt somebody. And if you're unable to keep that dog in a pit, then you better get rid of the dog. That's the principle. If you can't keep it, you better kill it. Now I can apply this to all kinds of areas. Let me make one application to y'all. One application and, and then I'll move on. You and I live in a digital world. And we're not going back to an analog world. All these kids, they grow up with a gadget in their hand. They're called digital natives. It is amazing to me that my grandchildren who can't spell cat can turn on a video on a cell phone. That's astounding to me. That my grandchildren know more about that iPhone and how to work it than, than I do. If you have any problem with any of your digital devices, ask any of the kids around here. They'll know exactly how to do it. And, and I'm amazed at all of the possibilities that you can do. And, and by the way, I'm not against digital devices. I have a MacBook computer. I, I'm, I'm using an iPad tonight. I, I have an iPhone. I, I have all of those devices. I am in the process of trying to reduce my digital footprint. 
Do I really need all of these devices? Do I really need all of these subscriptions and all of these accounts? And I, 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 I despise big tech like, like Google and, and, and YouTube and all of that. I, I'm trying to reduce all of that. It is not wrong to, please understand, it's not wrong to own those things. I, I would love to get rid of the iPhone, but that's more because of the conspiracy and, and the tracking and all of that. But, but it's not wrong. They, they can be very useful tools. But listen to me. Good things can become bad things. We are addicted to a screen. We are addicted to a device. And you can pull up a lot of evil on a computer screen. There's many men who have sat for hours in an office or a house somewhere and they've stared at pornography until their brain was fried. And you can go to chat rooms and online dating sites and you can explore any kind of evil subject that you can possibly imagine. See, here's what happens, a man or a woman says, boy, this is a dangerous ox. I need to control this. So here's what we do. We build a fence around it. I'm going to get a blocker. I'm going to get accountability software. I'm going to get an accountability partner. I'm going to limit my 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 exposure to it. I'm going to do it during during the day. I, I'm going to be careful. I'm, I'm going to build a fence around this dangerous ox. And those things are good, and you should do those things. But did you know that the ox has a way of getting out? Take for example, a man who is addicted to pornography will find a way to get around that on his computer. It will open up a secret account. It will have a hidden email. A teenager will have a private login. They'll, they'll figure a way to, to get outside of that fence. And here's what I say to you tonight. That if that ox keeps getting out of the fence and it's dangerous to you, you better kill the ox. If you can't keep it, you better kill it. And you cannot imagine, cannot imagine how I would ever possibly survive without a computer or without a smartphone. But you better imagine living without your family and living without the presence of God and living without a pure mind. I think those things are more valuable. There's nothing wrong with having an ox. But if you can't keep the ox in its proper place, then kill the ox. Because the value of the ox is not greater than the risk of owning the ox. We have ladies sitting in our church, and not in your church, because I don't know your church, but we have ladies sitting in our church, they are addicted to social media. I'm not against social media. I don't think it's a sin for you to have social media. I don't have it. I, I just, I'm bored with it. But I don't think it's a sin. I, I'm not against that at all. Well, we have people that sit for hours a day. Hours a day checking social media. We've gotten to where that we have to get up in the morning. The first thing we do is we reach for our phone and see what somebody posted for lunch on Facebook or see what somebody tweeted. And again, again, I'm not against it at all. And here's what we do. We build a fence. I'm going to set some rules. And I, I, I'm going to limit the time that I play with this ox. And, 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 but, but if you can't control it, you better kill it. It, it might be a relationship. This person in your life dragging you down. Drag on your walk with God. I'm going to tell you an ox that I had that I had to kill. I was a news junkie. Political news. I was a political news junkie. Fox News every day. All of the websites. I knew every... If you wanted to know politics, I knew politics. But God helped me. Yes. i tell you how he helped me. He had them steal the election That's in 2020. Right. Yeah. 
He did that for me. And the night of the election in 2020, I was watching Fox News. And about 9 o'clock that night, I realized that the steel was on. And they got aggravated. And I turned it off. That was an ox in my life. It wasn't helping my preaching. It wasn't helping my pastoring. It wasn't helping my study of the Word of God. You say, there's something wrong with watching it? There's something wrong with me watching it. To the glory of God, to the glory of God, God help me break the addiction. I have not watched a minute of Fox News or CNN or ABC News or CBS since the night of the election. No, I don't think it's wrong for you to watch it. It's wrong for me to watch it. It was an ox in my life that I could not contain, so I had to kill it. That which cannot be kept must be killed. There's a second principle in here tonight. That which is dangerous will become deadly. You see, everybody knew that this ox was want in verse number 29. This is the kind of ox that will gore you if you are not careful. Not every ox is that way, but this particular ox is cantankerous. So you make sure that your kids stay out of the pen with this ox. You make sure that they steer clear. The owner knew his temperament, and so he made sure that I've got him secured in a strong pen because if this ox gets out, this ox will kill somebody. You're taking a risk. You're taking a risk because the potential for harm is is very, very great. And one day the ox does get out. And he goes on a rampage and he gores somebody and maybe even gores somebody's little child. Because the ox doesn't care who he gores. He's just out to kill somebody. Can you imagine the horror of an owner hearing that his ox got out? He's gone down to the neighbor. He's gored a little child. Can you imagine the owner having to go down there to catch his ox and there's the bloody body of a little baby lying there in the yard and you know that you knew that this ox was susceptible to do this and you kept the ox anyway and now you are responsible for that death. The principle is that dangerous things can become deadly things. The reason why you got to kill it is because it's going to kill you. There's people sitting in our churches right now that are hooked. They are hooked on, on, on some kind of prescription drugs. And it started with just a little bit. And it got a little bit more. And it got a little bit more. And now that ox has gotten out. And it is, it is controlling their life. There are people who started out with just a little wine with a meal. Just a little wine with a meal. Just a little social drink. And now they are full on drunks because they didn't contain the ox. They played with dangerous things. And those dangerous things have a way of killing your walk with God. And killing your relationship with your wife. And killing your influence with your children. And killing your love for the house of God. And you might still be breathing. And you might still be living. But inside you're dead to so many things as you used to be allowed to before because you kept a dangerous ox around. Most of us have weapons in our house. I, I believe in gun ownership. I own guns. I wouldn't tell you how many guns I own. But we believe in being responsible gun owners because we know that can become a dangerous weapon. So we take measures. Whether it's a trigger lock or a gun safe or 
unloaded, whatever it might be. But uh, my grandkids come over. A weapon's not going to be laid out where my grandkids could get their hands on it. You, you wouldn't leave a loaded handgun laying there on the kitchen table for the children to pick up and play with. But there have been instances where a child's found a gun and played with it and pulled the trigger and tragedy tried to destroy it. That'd be a horrible thing, wouldn't it? Hey, I don't know. I don't know how I would live with myself if that happened. In fact, it would probably so traumatize me. I'd probably just get rid of my guns. I'm not against having them. I'm for it. But that would probably be such a traumatic thing if it happened to one of my grandchildren. I'd just probably say it's not even worth having the gun around. And the principle is, is that if you have something dangerous in your life, it's going to become deadly. That which cannot be kept must be killed. That which is dangerous will become deadly. Here's my third principle. I'm done. That which you can handle will harm others. If you notice this, when the ox got loose, it did not attack the owner. Because the owner knew the ox. He probably raised it as a calf. He knew the temperament. He knew not to walk around behind the ox. He knew when the ox is agitated. He knew not to get too close to its horns. He could handle the ox. You couldn't go into the pen with the ox, but the owner could go into the pen. Here's what I hear. Preacher, preacher, I can handle this. Preacher, I know what you're saying, but I know what I'm doing. Preacher, don't worry about me. I've been handling these kind of oxen all my life, and I assure you I'm stronger than the ox. And that ox may never come after you, but here's what it does. It lulls you into a false sense of security, and all the while it's hurting somebody else. So you send the kids to bed before you'd watch HBO or whatever show because you wouldn't want the children to see that. But you're an adult. You, you can handle it. You, you, we're, we're adults. We can handle that. And your children never see that. They, they never see that. But they also never see any resemblance of God in your life. They also don't have a spiritual leader in their home. And those children, they never hear that daddy pray. And, and they lose the influence of having a godly father instead of one that just plays. Well, oh, you're handling it, but it's harming somebody else. There's men that sit in our churches. They've had a porn addiction for years. And they know what's wrong. But after 20 years of addiction, they've surrendered themselves to it. But at least I've kept it away from everybody else. And that wife may never know. But she also doesn't know why there's no intimacy in the marriage. Well, why is the marriage like this? Oh, you handled it. But it gored that marriage to death. The danger of the dangerous ox is that it is a danger to somebody else. This ox never gored the owner. It never attacked him. But in the end it's going to cost him his life. He doesn't get to set the price. The price is set for him. And what you think you can handle ends up harming somebody else. So I ask you today, do you have an ox in your life that needs to be killed? If you keep it, that ox is eventually going to get out and hurt somebody. And if you can't control it, whether it's the music, whatever it is, you better kill it. 
It may not even be wrong to have the ox. But I'm not trying to see how much I can get away with. I want to see how safe I can be. Do you have enough concern for your family and for your children? To look inside this home and say, that's dangerous. I don't have a verse. That's dangerous. For the spiritual health of my children, I'm going to kill the ox. A friendship, a hobby, an addiction. The dangerous ox must die. Here on a Tuesday night, an off night, Halloween night, and here you are in church. And I think that that says something about your Christianity. And I think that most people in my church really want to live for God. They really want to have a Christian home. I have young people in my church. They struggle with the same things that everybody else struggles with. But they really want to do right. They want God in their life. Don't let the world slip something into your heart, into your home. that will end up killing everything that you have ever dreamed for. Get your family together. God, protect our home. Make this a Christian home. Lord, you come in here. You look around. Is there anything in here that you think is dangerous? Lord, you search my heart. There's nothing in this world that I want more than you. There's nothing I wouldn't give up, nothing I wouldn't throw out to have your power on my life and upon my children. So, Heavenly Father, speak to us tonight. Search our hearts and search our homes tonight. Is there anything in our hearts and our homes in our lives that's dangerous to our Christianity? I marvel at how you've blessed my family, my wife and my three kids and my grandkids. I am living the dream tonight. But, oh, Lord, I want your hand upon our home. I want you to touch and anoint my children and my grandchildren. There's nothing in this world, if I know my heart, that I'd rather have than the power of God in our home. Speak to us tonight, would you? Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.